Our second reading this morning comes from Psalm 65 in its entirety. If you would like to follow along, I will wait while you turn there. Psalm 65. And verses 1 through 13. Congregation, hear God's word. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. The one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks, the valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. This is the word of the Lord. And our text this morning, dear congregation of Christ, is the entire psalm. I want to take an opportunity, first of all, to thank you for the fellowship and the generous hospitality I have received, not only this Lord's Day uh, and weekend. I, I make a distinction between the weekend and the Lord's Day. Yesterday was the weekend. Today is the Lord's Day. But in September and October and November and now December, you have welcomed me as Christ himself. I have been overwhelmed with joy at your kindness, your warm and friendly greetings, your abundant hospitality, your gracious generosity. My heart is full, and out of the fullness of that heart, I hope to preach to you the word of God this morning. Why praise God? Three one-syllable words in the form of a question. 
which the psalmist seeks to answer for us this morning. Why? Praise God. As I alluded to in my pastoral prayer, it seems that our secular society has Halloween scarecrows up next to the Christmas trees in the department stores. They do a great leap forward over Thanksgiving. I fear that it is a reflection of a discontented generation. That if it is not, if, if it is not begging for tricks and treats, is looking for what's in the stocking or under the Christmas tree. Forgetting to be thankful altogether. It's a sad thing to be grabbing rather than grateful. It's a sad thing to be covetous rather than content. And so the psalmist interrupts our lives this morning in this season of thanksgiving and reminds us as the people of God why we praise God. Why are we here? This isn't called a service of worship for nothing. This isn't just a good play, place, as uh, Frank Burns in the old MASH TV series used to say, church is a good place to kill a few hours. <laughs> it's infinitely more than that. Why do we praise God? David, the psalmist, gives us three wonderful reasons this morning that emerge out of our text. First, let me set answer before I tell you what those three things are. Let me set this text in its proper context. First of all, this is the book of Psalms. This is the praise book of the church. And in these Psalms, we see markers. We'll see one if you invite me back when your pastor, new pastor, wants to go on vacation. We'll see another marker. We saw one at the end of Psalm 41. And what we just sang in Trinity 7 is the end of Psalm 72. And blessed be his glorious name, the whole earth let his glory fill. The psalmist says, Amen and Amen. So what we see in the flow of the Psalms, as Palmer Robertson has so referred to it in his very helpful book on the Psalter, is sections that are structured for a specific purpose in the life of the people of God. Psalms 1 through 41 show to us the confrontation, the conflict, the combat of the messianic king against the seed of the serpent. You can see that in Psalm 1, in the way of the wicked versus the way of the righteous. You can see that in Psalm 2. These two psalms form the pillars that mark the entrance of the Psalter. We see it in the conflict of the raging nations and the conspiring kings who set themselves against the Lord and His anointed. So from the very beginning of the Psalter and interspersed throughout the first 41 Psalms, we see this conflict, this confrontation, this combat between the seed of the woman embodied in the Messianic King who is the author of most of the Psalms in the first volume, David, and the seed of the serpent, his enemies, in whose presence the Lord sets his table. We transition 
at Psalm 42 into a volume of contemplation and communication. This isn't in contrast. This does not contrast with the first 41 Psalms, but it complements it because we see David contemplating in his words to God and to himself and other psalmists agree, Asaph and Korah, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why so disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. The psalmist is contemplating, but also communicating. Communicating with God. Communicating with God's people. Communicating even with God's enemies. And we see some of that in this Psalm 65 this morning. In the narrower context, in Psalms 51 through 71, we see Psalms exclusively by David in which he is contemplating and communicating with God. Remember Psalm 51? Have mercy on me, O God, according to the abundance of thy steadfast love. One of the things David is contemplating is his sins. We're going to see that in our first point. And as you move through these psalms, you see David communicating with God, crying out in Psalm 61 through 64, and God answering and giving David reasons to praise God in Psalm 65 through 68. I've tried to give you kind of the nine-digit zip code here of where this psalm fits. Those of you who are in the military, that's the 16-digit grid coordinate. That's the one square meter. That's where we are. So much then for the context. In this psalm, we see God calling you to praise him with his messianic king as you extol all his works of providence. So my exhortation to you this morning in a thought, in a sentence, is to praise God with his messianic king as you extol all his wondrous works of providence. What are those wondrous works? Let's look at them together. First of all, God calls us to praise him with his messianic king as you contemplate God's atoning presence. Look with me at verses 1 through 4. And by the way, I won't be offended if you look down at your Bibles. I'm not much to look at. <laughs> so let's focus on the text, shall we? Let's look at verses 1 through 4, first of all. Notice what he says there. He says, Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. And to you, the vow shall be performed. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. And to you shall the vow be performed. Why should the vow be performed? Why is praise due to God in Zion? David tells us. Notice what he says. He says that we have iniquities, but God atones for them. Did you see that in the text? As for our transgressions, verse 3, you atone for them. And that's why I read Ephesians 1 as our New Covenant reading. We read the same thing there, don't we? 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He goes on to say, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he has lavished upon us in him. Why praise God? He atones for your iniquities with nothing less than the precious blood of the eternal Son of God. So praise is due to God in Zion. He atones for our iniquities, but he goes on. Notice what he says here. How, verse 4, how blessed is the one whom you choose and bring near to you that he would dwell in your courts. He not only redeems us, he restores us. Blessed is the one whom you choose and cause, and the, and the verb in the Hebrew here is a causative verb, cause to come near. I'm reminded of the hymn, I sought the Lord. And afterward I knew he moved my soul to seek him, seeking me. T'was not I who found thee, Savior, true. No, I was found of thee. Blessed is the one whom you cause to draw near. Why praise God? He atones for your This is reminiscent of Psalm 103, isn't it? Bless the Lord, O my soul. Here's David talking to himself again, talking to his soul. A good practice, by the way. Sometimes I think we listen to ourselves too much and talk to ourselves too little. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disquieted within me? Hope in God. Brothers and sisters, the discipline of meditation often consists in part in self-communication. Because the things that come to mind, I don't know, maybe you're different from me. The things that I come to my mind when I first open my eyes and put feet on the floor are not necessarily the things that I would preach from this pulpit. Well, maybe you're different, or maybe you're like me. I have to talk to myself. That's what David does here. But he goes on, doesn't he, in verse, verse 4. He doesn't just bring us near. He brings us near to dwell in his courts. Did you hear it in the New Covenant reading? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You go on to chapter 2 in Ephesians and what does it say? You were dead in your sins and trespasses. Following the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And we're children of wrath, just like the rest. There's only two kinds of people, beloved, children of God and children of wrath. And you need to be very clear in your own heart and mind which you are. But even when we were like that, and Paul includes himself, he says we, he doesn't just say you Gentiles from Ephesus. But God, 
Ephesians 2.4. Out of the great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins and trespasses, made us alive with Christ, raised us up with him, and made us to sit with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You might think you're sitting on Carroll Avenue at Grace OPC Lynchburg right now. But if you understood our call to worship at all, where you're sitting right now is in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's what he says. How blessed is the one whom you choose and bring near to you that he will dwell, would dwell in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. Beloved, let me ask you, are you satisfied with the goodness of God's house? If David could say this about an earthly temple where the only sacrifices being made were those of blood, the blood of bulls and goats and lambs, how much more should we, whom John says in his first letter in his first chapter, are caused to walk in the light as he is in the light so that we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. What does Hebrews say? Not chapter 9, verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purify your conscience from dead works to serve the living God, to praise the living God. Why praise God? Because He atones for our transgressions when they overwhelm us. He causes us to draw near, not to be dismissed, but to dwell and to be satisfied with the goodness of his house. Oh, brothers and sisters, that we would be often with one another as the house of God, as the building which Christ is building, that we might be encouraged by one another's fellowship. That's why God gives us a whole day called the Lord's Day. People who say, well, you know, I'd study the Bible more, but I just don't have time. I'd pray more, but I just don't have time. I'd like to have more fellowship, but I just don't know I have time. Brothers and sisters, if you're too busy for the Lord's day, you're too busy. God has given you a whole day to dwell in his courts, to be satisfied with the goodness of his house. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some, but all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the emphasis of David in the first four verses. Praise God with his messianic king. By the way, these are not the private prayers of a pious prince. Notice who this letter is addressed to. What does it say? It's for the choir director. Did you ever have somebody open your mail when it was addressed to you and you, it's kind of irksome, they hand you the open envelope? Wait a minute, that was addressed to me. Well, David is telling you who this is addressed to. It's for the choir director. And you are the choir. You are the ones who are to praise God. If we did nothing else all day long on the Sabbath, it would be enough. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion. Why? Because you have the privilege of contemplating God's 
atoning presence. But David doesn't stop there. He presses on in verses 5 through 8. He calls us to praise our God with his messianic king as you consider not only God's atoning presence, but his awesome power. Look with me at verses 5 through 8. You see, the work of God is not confined to his courts. It's not confined to the goodness of his house. It's not confined to his holy temple. Where else does God's work extend, according to verses 5 through 8 then? It extends to the ends of the earth, to the farthest seas, to the peoples at the ends of the earth. We read here that this idea, which I've pointed out, verse 5, the hope of all the ends of the earth. The Lord our God is not merely our God. He is the God of all the earth. What did Jesus say as the preface to the Great Commission? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You see this phrase, the ends of the earth, is a Hebraism. Not only does it appear in the Psalms, not only does it appear in the prophets, we see it in Isaiah 42, 6, and Isaiah 49, 6, in this season where we anticipate some contemplation and reflection on the incarnation. We think upon Isaiah's servant song. It is too light a thing, the Lord says through Isaiah that you should restore the lost tribes of Israel. I will make you a light to the nations that my salvation may reach, wait for it, to the ends of the earth. You see, we are not only to be centripetal in our worship, looking upward on the Lord's day, we're to be centrifugal, looking outward in our witness during the Lord's week. That's our mission. That's our ministry. That's our mandate. We are under orders. It's like Trinity Hymnal number 282, I believe it is. The promises that all the ends of the earth shall hear and turn to the Lord in fear. All unto him her homage brings the Lord of lords, the King of kings. After Jesus' resurrection, what did he say in the beginning of the book of Acts? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There's that Hebraism again. Not only in David, not only in Isaiah, but in the, on the lips of Jesus. That's our mission. That's our mandate. That's our ministry. That's why we have a thank offering at the end of the year. Not just because it's Thanksgiving and we're supposed to take an offering. But in the midst of our worship where we're looking up, we are to contemplate our witness and are looking out to the ends of the earth. Because there's a promise associated with this phrase. Notice it in verse 5. Excuse me, verse 8. And I will read it. They who inhabit the ends of the earth are in fear on account of your signs. What the prophet, what the psalmist here is saying is that 
The ends of the earth shall turn to the Lord in fear. But God is a God of means. Notice that he, God is called the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. And beloved, have you considered for just a moment where you are and when you are right now? I put it that way on purpose. You are at the ends of the earth. You're the Gentiles that David is talking about. It's happened. It's come to pass. It's being fulfilled. I don't know how many ethnic Jews we might happen to have in the congregation this morning, but I dare say they're not many. And the verb here in the Hebrew is very strong. And they shall fear. It's a promise. You can take it to the bank. Why do we participate in missions of proclamation? Why do we participate in services of prayer? Because we live in the age of promise. And they shall fear you. The hope of all the ends of the earth. Because of your mighty acts. So God's power extends not only to his atoning presence in the temple, not only to his awesome power among the nations to the ends of the earth. But thirdly, David says, and I invite you to consider that you are to praise God with his messianic king because of his abundant provision. Notice with me verses 9 through 13. David talks here about the hills, the mountains, the valleys, the furrows, the wagon tracks. We see here God's awesome power. What does our shorter catechism say? What are God's works of providence? His most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. Notice how the Shorter Catechism reflects the psalm here. Let's just look at the verbs for a few minutes. I'm just going to read them. This, this, I have a, a dear friend, Dr. Max Roglin, who is a professor of Old Testament, did his Ph.D. on an irregular verb in Hebrew. And when I asked Dr. Roglin, I asked Max, what's your favorite part of the Old Testament? He says, the verbs! Because that's where the action is. Notice where the action is. Notice what the text says. You visit the earth and cause it to overflow. You greatly enrich it. The stream of God is full of water. You establish their grain. For thus you establish the earth. You water its furrows abundantly. You smooth its ridges. You soften it with showers. You bless its growth. You crown the year with your goodness and your paths strength with riches. Beloved, when's the last time you missed a meal when it wasn't for lack of appetite? When did you last miss a meal? You know, I can't remember either. <laughs> How good our God has been to us. Millions across the face of the earth will go hungry tonight. And we have been abundantly blessed with food, 
with freedom, with an untold level of prosperity in the history of the nations of the earth. How often should we say with David, bless the Lord and forget not all his benefits. Why praise God? Because of his atoning presence. Because of his awesome power. And because of his abundant provision. And notice where this praise is due. Let's go back to verse 1. Let's focus this. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. Now what Zion is David referring to here? Was he referring to the Jerusalem that is now enveloped in war? Oh no, beloved. For as Paul says in Galatians 4, the Jerusalem which is above is our mother and she is free. Where have we come this morning to worship? Have we merely come to this nine-digit zip code, to this building on Carroll Avenue? What does the writer to the Hebrews tell us? Where does our praise ascend to? Hebrews 12 says this. But you all have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. And the writer of that hymn concludes with these words. Yet she on earth hath union with God the three in one and mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. Oh, happy ones and holy Lord, grant us grace that we, like them, the meek and lowly, may, high, may dwell on high with thee. We worship on the Lord's day because we hope in the Lord's coming. Even in our deepest griefs, our hardest sorrows, this abundant provision reaches to us. You may have come to this service this morning troubled in soul, disquieted in spirit, disturbed in mind. I don't know. God knows. But let me share with you the verse of a hymn that has been very helpful to me. Be still, my soul, when dearest friends depart. And all is darkened in the veil of tears. Then shalt thou better know his love, his heart, who comes to soothe your worries and your fears. Be still, my soul, thy Jesus can repay from his own fullness, all he takes away. Praise our God with his messianic king, for he is a God of abundant provision. Be still, my soul, the waves and winds still know the voice who ruled him, them while he dwelt below. In this psalm, David likens the tumult of the peoples to the roaring of the seas. And who is it 
that stills the roaring of the seas? Beloved, it is. Not David, but the son of David. What did the disciples say in Luke 8? Who is this then? That even the winds and the waves obey him. All the more reason we should praise our God. What did we sing this morning? How oft in grief hath not he brought thee relief, spreading his wings to our shade thee. This is my testimony, beloved, that Christ is enough. His grace is sufficient for us. His power is made perfect precisely in our weakness. And we need, if we're going to move from grumbling to gratitude, from worrying and whining to wondering of the grace of God. We need to say what Paul says. I am content therefore with insults, with injuries, with weaknesses. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Why praise God? Because of His atoning presence for all your sins. Because of His awesome power over all the nations. And because of His abundant provision. Let me read verse 11 again. Some of you may have wondered about my translation. But I studied the, the, the Hebrew word here. You crown the year with your goodness and your wagon tracks drip with richness. Think of yourselves for a moment in a pumpkin patch. And the pumpkin wagon is so full that as the farmer is pulling it into the barn, the pumpkins are falling off right and left. That's the picture that the psalmist wants you to have here. Abundant provision. So brothers and sisters, why praise God? You praise God because he has chosen to bring your near. You can say with the psalmist, bless the Lord, O my soul, who forgives all your transgressions, who heals all your diseases, who crowns your life with steadfast love and with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I invite you, beloved, to give this psalm a good reading this afternoon, for that is what the Lord's Day afternoon can be used for, and to cause your heart. Don't listen to your worries. Talk to your soul. And say with David, praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. He is your God who forgives all your iniquities, even the most secret and heinous in your hearts that no one knows but God himself. Forgiven, atoned for, redeemed. Will you not praise our God? And I leave you where David does. To you, he says it twice in this psalm, the vows shall be performed. Let me ask you a question. What have you vowed? To whom have you vowed it? And how are you doing? Some of you have taken vows of membership here. What you believe, how you will behave, who you'll be subject to. Some of you have taken vows of marriage. 
to love, honor, and respect. Some of you have taken vows over your children to raise them in the discipline and nurture of the Lord, to pray with and for them, to instruct them in the principles of our holy religion. How are you doing? Some of you have taken vows as officers of this congregation to teach, to encourage, to visit, to admonish, to correct, even to rebuke, as hard as that is. What have you promised? To whom have you promised it? And how are you doing? Think about that this Lord's Day afternoon. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. And unto you the vows shall be performed. Let us pray together.